My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Welcome to Providence Road, especially if you're a guest with us. If you're new to the church, we're honored that you would choose to spend a Sunday morning worshiping with us, especially during this Advent season. And Jay kicked us off last week in this four-week Advent series that we're doing. And Advent, if, if that is unfamiliar to you, or if you just need a refresher, Advent means arrival. And so this is a season uh, traditionally that churches take the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And uh, really, there's kind of three components to Advent. One, you look, you try to put yourself in the position of God's people 2,000 years ago when Jesus came. But we all have the benefit of being 2,000 years further along, and then we can look back at the past and know that Jesus was born. And so you have this idea of, of reflection on Jesus' first coming or first arrival. And the third thing is we think about and we let our minds drift towards Jesus' second coming or second arrival or second advent. Right? So all these components, kind of um, where we're at in history, this is where we find ourselves. But here's my fear. I have a fear um, every time of year that this comes around, this, this idea of Advent. My fear is that the reason why Jesus came will be overlooked. It will be um, not explicit enough. But in this season, we have good things that we celebrate. We spend, tend to spend more time with family. We have parties. We focus our attention on the baby Jesus, and all those things are really good, and we should do those things. We have lesser um, think good things that we do, I should say, things like uh, maybe we, we become overly um, c- consumers in this time of year. We can drift towards that. We can increase. Um, weariness can increase. Tiredness can increase. We can also distract ourselves, I think, potentially more in this season in unhealthy ways, right? So all of these things kind of come together in an Advent season, and I don't want us to miss the main idea. Even amongst the good things, those aren't the best things about this season. And one symptom of this is kind of missing the main point is describing this season um, as uh, simply it's, it's a nice season or it's nostalgic or fill in the, the hallmark quote um, that you see in a card, right? And, and we make that what Christmas is. Instead of describing Christmas with words like awe-inspiring, jaw-dropping, mind-blowing, worship-inducing, right? These are the things that I want us as a church, and I wish all Christians would see this season as, because it is incredible what we observe during this season. God became a man. God is with us, Emmanuel, God with us. God has chosen to come out of heaven in the form of a human being, born as a baby, carried by Mary like any of us were carried in the womb, and born like any of us were born. Grew up, experienced all the things of growing up that we would experience. 
And where we find ourselves, sometimes we, we miss the fact that for thousands and thousands of years, God's people waited for what we observe and celebrate during this time of year. Thousands of years, God's people were waiting for the Messiah. When is he going to come? You had pointers we see in the Old Testament to the coming of the Messiah. We see that over and over and over as we read the scriptures before Jesus came. And there was this longing and anticipation of wanting Jesus to come for salvation, for redemption, for freedom, for peace, for joy, for hope. All of those things. And we have experienced those things already. We are on the other side of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension. And we have the privilege, the scriptures tell us, of looking back. And so I pray that we don't miss this opportunity to focus our attention on this event that we are celebrating. Let me jump into the text. John chapter 1. It'll be on the screens. Um, John chapter 1, Jay read these three verses last week, but I want to go ahead and read them again just to provide context, okay, just to provide context. John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The word here spoken of is Jesus. When you see the word, that means Jesus. It's, it's capitalized in the scripture because the, John is speaking about Jesus. And he was with God from the beginning of all creation. Before Genesis 1-1, before God starts creating, Jesus existed with God. And that, and that idea of the Trinity that is so mysterious and hard for us to wrap our mind around. Three persons, one God. Jesus was there. And it says that he was, he was involved in creation. That all things were created through him. Right? Jesus had a special role in creation. And we don't want to skip over that as familiar as some of those verses are to us. The word came. And he was from the beginning. He existed from all time. Jesus is different. He's similar in all the ways um, that, we are, we, 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 that we are born and we are raised, but he is also very different. Verse 14, a few verses down in the book of John, John says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as, the, as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This word who existed from all eternity past has broken into our world in the form of humanity, flesh. That's what that is teaching. The word became flesh, humanity. There's skin and bones put onto God, and he dwelt among us. He lived like one of us. He existed like a human being. Eugene Peterson says this about the incarnation of Jesus. God starts out where we start out. A child is born. He submerges himself in our biology, our psychology, our history. He becomes one of us so we can become what he is. He doesn't terrorize us with doomsday signs. He doesn't crush us with superior knowledge. 
He doesn't tease us with mysterious clues. He is here with us in Jesus. God's way of revealing himself to us and giving himself to us is Jesus. See, for humans to know God, anything about God, he has to reveal himself to us. This is the the message all throughout the scriptures. Genesis, there at the beginning of creation, Genesis, I mean, God created Adam and Eve, and he revealed himself to humanity by creating Adam and Eve. And we see in Genesis 12, we looked at it a few weeks ago, but God came to Abram, right? Came to Abram. He revealed himself to Abram. Abram wasn't looking for God. God revealed himself to Abram. He continues to reveal himself to God, his people throughout the Old Testament with the prophets. Right? The prophets were to speak um, God's message and exactly what God wanted to say, he would say it through the prophets. He revealed himself to his people then. And then he reveals himself in Jesus. God reveals himself to humanity in the ultimate way by actually becoming one of us, becoming a human himself, all the while remaining fully God, like us, but also not like us, fully man, fully God, not 50-50, 100%, If that kind of is mind-blowing for you and hard to understand, welcome to the club, right? But he can do it. He's God. Fully man, fully God. And this brings us to our main point today. Let's look at John 1, 4, and 5. Our primary two verses for today. John says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So this is one one of the main ways Scripture explains the revealing of God to humanity is through light. Again, something we can understand, right? Thank God that he does this in his word, right? He takes these concepts that, make it, that are really hard for us to understand, but he uses things like light and darkness to help us understand how he came. These scriptures are clear. He says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And light's a, a massive idea in the scriptures, light and darkness, You're there at the beginning of creation, God creating everything. He separated the day from the night. He separated darkness from light. We see light come up all throughout the rest of the scriptures. You see it here with Jesus. You see it in Jesus' return and how Revelation speaks about Jesus. So this morning, we're going to look at four things that this light reveals, right? Light reveals things. That's the purpose of light, right? It's a revealer. Like it's the, you, you wouldn't really know about light unless you really knew about darkness. They go hand in hand, right? You would really not know what darkness is really like without also knowing light, right? We know those two things because we compare them to one another. So the first thing that light reveals is the nature of darkness. Light reveals the nature of darkness. I want you to imagine the last time you were in a room that was so dark, so pitch black, that you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. There's sometime recently that you could experience that. And just, the, just how, um, maybe um, just how disorienting that was, how hard that was to be in a place that dark. It could be scary. 
Think of the last time the, your power went off in your home or apartment or, or dorm room when it was not, you weren't expecting it to go off, right? Not in the middle of a storm, but just went off all of a sudden, especially if it's dark outside, that initial feeling you get, I get it every time. It's like, what in the world? And then everything's dark, and you usually got to go flip a light or check the breaker or something. But then once you realize, okay, we got to figure this out, right? And you usually find a flashlight, find the candle or whatever, and you're, and you're fine. But there's that moment where, wait, this is, this is uncomfortable, right? I don't want to be in the dark right now. That's why we have nightlights. That's why they were invented, because we didn't want to be in complete darkness. And when you can't see things, you get hurt. Darkness can be dangerous because of that. And one kind of sneaky thing about darkness is the longer that you're in it, the, the more used to it you get. Right? It's like we talk about our eyes adjusting to the dark. Right? Gone into a movie theater, when you first get in there, it's a little dark, right? have trouble seeing, but... By the end of the movie, you can see fairly well in the room, right? A couple hours have gone by, and you're used to the darkness. So what, when the Bible talks about darkness, when it talks about darkness, it's usually talking about one of two things. One, evil, right? Just straight, the evil that exists in the world, or it's talking about ignorance. Evil or ignorance. Um, and we see the evil in our world. We don't have to look far to see um, the violence, the injustice, homelessness, abuse of power. Amongst any other issue you want to put down there, these are expressions of the evil that we see in our day in and day out world. We could even look at our, if we took an honest look inside of us, we would see some evil there as well. The, the falling short of God's standard. We see darkness inside of us as well. If all of our thoughts and motives were laid bare, out and we could see those things, it would frighten us of the darkness. It also, darkness in the scriptures talk about ignorance, right? Ignorance, this, this idea that, that the world can see all the evil all around and, and there's this idea that we can kind of fix, uh, humanity in general can fix the problem ourselves. Like we can fix all the evils in the world, all the violence, all the injustice really without needing God. We'll just do it ourselves because we're smart. We are innovative. We are intelligent. Therefore, we don't need God to fix the things in the world. So we make saviors out of things like science, political systems, technology. Now, obviously, these things can be used for good, and they are used for good alongside of God, but they shouldn't be used in isolation to fix all of the world's problems. We are ignorant and we walk in darkness because we think we can fix things that are beyond our power to fix. Okay? The message that I love about Christmas is, when it comes to darkness, is that Christmas is honest about the darkness in the world. Right? Like, like Christmas, does it, this idea of biblical Christmas, Jesus coming, we, it doesn't pretend like everything's okay. There's, there's, a, there's a kind of a, we, we admit that, yeah, this world is messed up and broken. Something needs to come into this world from outside the world to be able to heal and fix the broken things of this world. So Christmas is honest in the sense that, yeah, there's something this world needs. This world is messed up, but it's also a message that doesn't leave us without hope. 
right? It says it's not so pessimistic that you're just like throw up your hands and be like, this world is awful. We can't do anything about it. No, there's hope. There's reason for joy. There's reason for peace. There's, there's reason for waiting and anticipation for Jesus, the one who can do something about this, to come. The first time or the second arrival when he will come back to make all things right. Isaiah 9, 2 it describes this, this kind of uh, is a prophecy looking forward to Jesus. It says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Once you see a couple things about this passage about darkness, one, it says the people walked in darkness. It wasn't that they, they were in darkness. They were walking around. They'd gotten used to the darkness. They had kind of made amends with the darkness. They were walking in darkness. And it says they have seen a great light. They saw a great light. Then it says those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. So God is thinking ahead, projecting ahead through the prophet Isaiah, saying the people were walking in darkness, and they have seen a great light. It also says that the people did not produce this light, nor were they responsible for it. They were groping around in the darkness, and the light came upon them. They didn't manufacture the light coming. They didn't make the light. They didn't pray the light into existence. The light just came, and it was a great light. It's important for us to understand darkness, because the, the greater the darkness, the more the light will be magnified. Right? We just know this from, from, right, you go into a room that has a lamp already lit and you flip on the light switch, it makes a little bit of difference, but it's not like walking into a room that's completely dark and flipping on the switch. Then there's a drastic difference from dark, really dark, to light now. This is why we have to understand the darkness. We have to see the reality of our situation in our world, but also inside of us before the light can really have effect on us and can transform us. Second thing, the light, so the light shows us what darkness is like. It reveals the darkness. The second thing the light reveals is what's true. The light reveals what is true. Like if you drive around with your headlights off, especially outside of the city, there's a really good chance that you're going to get in an accident. You're going to crash. Why? Because you can't see what's out there. You can't see reality, the reality of what's on the road, what's coming on the road, because you're driving in darkness. You don't know the truth of reality in that moment. So one another purpose of the light is to reveal what's there, to reveal reality. And we know some lights are more effective at this than others. We've all had that um, kind of moment where we, we need a light quick, right? We need a light, and maybe it's... Uh, not, not something major like your power has gone out, but you need a light and you need it quick. And you remember, oh, iPhones have lights on them, right? And users say, oh, I've got one in my pocket. We carry a light around in our pocket. And then you pull it out. And then pretty quickly for me, usually, some frustration sits in because it's not a very good flashlight, right? Like it works for some things and you pull it out and you're like, wait a minute, like this isn't working. And you have trouble like getting the angle right and holding it while you work. It's, it, I usually end up getting more frustrated when I'm dealing with, a project or something with a few steps with an iPhone. Because some lights don't light up the darkness enough. Some lights are effectively for a little while, but they aren't effective for what we need them for. But the scriptures say, the scriptures tell us that a great light 
has dawned. Describes Jesus as the light of the world, right? Jesus is the great light. He's the better light. He's not a lesser light. His light always brightens the place or the room that he is in. Verse 9 in John 1 says this. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And what most theologians and interpreters think that means is that, that there, because Jesus, because God has sent Jesus into the world, everyone in the world has benefited from that. There's benefits for God being involved in the world through Jesus Christ. Even if you're not a Christian, everyone benefits from Jesus coming into the world as light. And we see that, right? We don't have to look around too far to see that, right? Like, even just an easy one that I always think of um, many years ago usually is when like Christians and missionaries started hospitals. Much of the hospitals um, were started by churches or religious organizations or missionaries, right? And we're benefiting from those hospitals now. It's usually why there's a, there's a religious name attached to the hospital oftentimes because it was started by Christians, Right? And so we get the benefit from, everybody gets the benefit from um, the hospital, right? Not, it doesn't discriminate between Christians and non-Christians. But the reason why that hospital exists is because Jesus came into the world. And God gives us mental capacities. He gives us intellect to understand anything that we actually take in. Anything we understand comes from God because he gave us minds to understand things. And on a deeper level, we've talked about God revealing himself, but if you're going to come into relationship with God, he has to reveal himself to you for you to come into relationship with him. God has to reveal himself to us as savior for us to be able to enter into relationship with him. One easy example is hope, right? We put our hope in a lot of things, right? And we, we can't really see the reality of the situation when we're in that situation. But there's something about Jesus coming into the world and Jesus as being our foundation that gives us hope in different situations, right? When God, oftentimes when, when our world seemed the darkest, God is at work behind the scenes, even though we don't see it. Think about when Jesus came into the world, right? It was, there were 400 years-ish of silence, where God's people had not heard from God, from a prophet, scripture, any of those things for 400 years. They were under the oppression of one of the most um, powerful, arguably the most powerful empire that has ever existed, the Roman Empire. They were marginalized. They, were, they, were, they faced opposition at every turn. Lots of persecution in different seasons while they were under the Roman Empire. Not a lot of freedom to do what they wanted to do as God's people. You can imagine what they were feeling like in this situation where they hadn't heard from God in 400 years. Had they forgotten him? Had they, had, had, they, had they gotten mad at him? What had happened to Israel and God's people? This is one of Israel's darkest seasons. And then God shows up as a baby. He reveals himself to Israel in their darkest moments which helps us in our darkest moments, right? We can trust God that he is working behind the scenes, even though we may not see that in the moment, right? Number three, so light reveals um, darkness. Light also reveals what's true, what's reality. Third, light reveals the character of God. And I think in, in, especially in the advent and the coming of Jesus, there, there are two characteristics that I think are highlighted in God. 
One is that God loves sinners. He loves people who want nothing to do with him. And he's also humble. He loves sinners and he's humble. The message of Christianity is God came down to make a way to rescue sinful human beings that wanted nothing to do with him. It's the point of the incarnation, right? He didn't say, hey, here are the five steps to coming up to me in heaven. Here's the ways you need to live to have a chance at at finding enlightenment or finding nirvana or finding um, um, ecstasy or whatever it is, right? You could put any religion, worldview of getting to the ultimate source, Christianity, God says, you can't do this. You can't do this. I'm coming down to you. I will come down into your broken, messed up world to make a way for you. This is the message of Christianity. It's not that we would be well-behaved people. It's not that we would be, think, think nice things about him, that, that our religion and our customs would become nostalgic. His purpose is that sinners would be brought back into relationship with him, that he would then get glory and we would live lives that would actually glorify him based off of what he's done in our life. Not to earn anything, but to show the world that we have a loving and good God who loves us when we are unlovable. That's the message of Christmas. That's the message that will make us worship and not think this whole thing is, is nice. You think about it, God could have gone, sent any form of communication, right? In our day and age, it could have been a text message, right? Or a sermon or a book or a, a, just a good teacher, right? He could have done all those things to get his message to humans, right? In some degree, all those things are ways to communicate a message, but he chose becoming a human and coming down into our world so he can relate to us, so he can see us, so he, so he can sympathize with us. And some of you in this room are struggling right now. You've had a tough season. Maybe you hate Christmas. Maybe you hate this particular Christmas because of something that happened in the last year. That's okay. It's okay to hate Christmas and everything that it brings and just it's everywhere, right? And I feel for you if you are not having a good Christmas or you don't like it. But you need to hear this. God still came. The message of Christmas is God comes to dwell with sinful human beings, broken human beings, hurting human beings. God is near. God is with us. He has come and he dwells in our world now through his Holy Spirit. Some of you need to hear this. Maybe you're not going to feel hope this Christmas. That's okay. God's still true to his word. Jesus is still alive. You can trust him. You can run to him. Maybe he doesn't cover up all the negative feelings that you have right now, but he's there. He's with us. And Jesus felt everything you could possibly feel and more. Anything, you could, even anything we can possibly imagine feeling, Jesus has felt. He's felt it. I guess that may not make things immediately better, but I believe knowing that will eventually lead to healing. Eventually. May take time. Maybe a year will pass, and next Christmas will be better. Maybe you'll always think negatively of Christmas, and that's okay. It doesn't change what Jesus did. Right? He knows us. He sympathizes with us. And we get this in our horizontal relationships, right? When you go through something really, really hard, 
something that not maybe a lot of people have experienced, what happens when you find someone that has gone through the exact same thing or you or something really, really close, right? There's, some, there's a connection there. You're like, oh, you get me. You understand me. I can finally open up to you because not everybody can understand what I'm going through. And if that, that's the feeling we get from other people, how much can Jesus minister to us? How much can he relate to us? Because he is God, yet he is also fully human, and he has suffered. He has suffered greatly. Okay? God who dwells in inapproachable light. We see this through the scriptures, right? When people see God, they're blinded. They fall down. They're undone. People who actually see God here on earth, they see him with their own eyes. They are messed up. Because of the light, because of his glory is too much for us to take in. That is who became the most frail, helpless type of human being, a baby. He could have come at any age. He could have, praise God. He could have come at any age. He could have just appeared at 30 and then did his ministry, right? It's not the way he did. He chose to live in Mary's womb. He chose to be born like we're all born. A baby. Think about the humility of God to do this. If God was humble enough to come as a baby, creator God coming as a baby, I think he welcomes your mess. He welcomes your pain. He's not above entering to your mess and your pain, no matter how big or small it is. Go to him. He wants to heal you. He wants to know you. He wants to minister to you. We see that in the incarnation. He loves us. He loves sinners, and he's humble. Lastly, the light reveals our need for Jesus and that we can't save ourselves. Listen to Rich Velotis, his quote here. The word didn't become a religious system. The word didn't become a theological checklist. The word didn't become a political movement. The word didn't become an aesthetic experience. The word became flesh, loving, embodied existence. See, Jesus came into the world like us to sympathize with us, to know us, to show us how much he loves us, to be able to connect with us. But he came into the world fully God and not like us so he can fix us, so he can heal us, so he can save us, so he can make a way. And you can't have, you can't split those things apart. Again, fully man, fully God. Jesus came into the world to become like us because he loves us. But he came in, in, he's other than us in some ways so that he can save us. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament gives us a great summary of, of what Jesus did in calling him the great high priest, right? The high priest in the Old Testament, they were set apart from the rest of all of God's people so they could preside over and oversee all of the, the, the sacrificial uh, sacrifices made for the atonement, right? So they had to separate themselves. They had to live differently. They had different customs. They lived in different places so they wouldn't become too contaminated by the rest of God's people. They had to remain separate because they had this special role. But they still messed up. So God made a way for them, right? He said, okay, you got to atone for yourselves first. Here's how you do it. And then you can go preside over the rest of the atonement for God's people. And Jesus jumped straight into this as the great high priest, one who still can be one of us, right? Have everything like us, right? Flesh and bone, emotions, um, all the things, right? A helpless baby, right? 
God depending upon Mary and, and Joseph to take care of this helpless baby, right? Those of you who've had kids and they're in the baby, I mean, they depend on everything. Like you're, they're so dependent on mom and dad for everything, everything. God chose to come like this so he can sympathize with us. He's like us. Without Jesus coming as a baby, we don't have salvation, period. We don't have it. If Jesus didn't come in this way as a baby, the cross doesn't happen, the perfect life doesn't happen, the resurrection doesn't happen. This has to be there for everything else to make sense. Jesus coming exactly the way he did. How crazy is it how he did it? I don't want that to ever like lose its power. Like what in the world? Coming as a helpless baby, depending upon other human beings for everything for a while, like all babies do. And Jesus will come back. We talked about it at the beginning. He will come back. And instead of being inside of living inside of Mary's womb while Mary and Joseph rode on the donkey into Jerusalem, he's coming back on a horse, a white horse. And he's not going to be a baby. He's going to be a king. He's going to rule. He's going to reign. He's going to have authority. He's still good. He's still right. He's still perfect. But he will be different. He's not going to be crying like a baby. He's going to be reigning as a king from donkey to horse, right? The humble, loving king like a baby to actually crowned royalty coming in on a horse. So what do we do? Like, what do we do with this? And I love the song, Joy to the World, we sang, prepare him room, right? Hearts prepare him room. And so I think that's, that's what we need to leave here with. What are we going to do to prepare ourselves to make room in our minds and our hearts to let this truth sink in, right? The incarnation. We can't miss this. So what do we do? And number one, Jay, Jay mentioned it last week, but we need to slow down. If there's ever a season to slow down, it's this one. It's usually the hardest season to slow down though, right? But if there's ever a season to slow down, this is it. Creating margin in your life. Creating margin in, in your family's life. Be intentional. If you feel overwhelmed, just tell yourself it's, it's just a month, right? Like just, let's just try this for a month. Create some margin, intentionality to actually think about these things, to, to, to think deeply about the incarnation. That this is more than just nostalgia and, and nice traditions. It is those things. We can, we can be all about that, but that is not the main thing. That doesn't bring power. That doesn't bring change. That doesn't bring freedom. The truth of the incarnation, what we talked about today, God fully, man, God fully, uh, Jesus fully man, fully God, that brings power. That produces worship. That produces awe. Let's, let's create some space for us to think about that. We have, we've put resources up on the website. There are unlimited resources to help you do this. I think it comes down to us kind of making that commitment and deciding with some intentionality, we're going to do this. And then I think we can fill in with the resources, and we'd love to be able to help you with that. Second, this is the second, just two things. That's the first, this is the second. Um, and, and I try to do this, I'm trying to get better at this every year, but allow all the traditions to point you to the truth we talked about today, right? I, I, I use them as prompts, right? We see lights everywhere, right? 
Like if there was ever a holiday where we could ha- uh, that we see lights all over the place, it's this one. And the passage you read today was all about light. Jesus coming as light. So every time you see a light, think about Jesus being the light of the world coming into the darkness of the world and the darkness of your heart, right? When you, see, when you, when you maybe exchange gifts, if you do that, right? The gifts, it's, it's, it's God's gift to us. Best gift ever is Jesus. He's given to us as a gift, as Savior, right? The singing, like let, let, that, let that, th- those words like wash over you and let, let you like point you to the truth, right? All sorts of things in this season that can point us to um, Jesus and remind us and prompt us to think about the incarnation, Right, all the greenery and the Christmas trees, right? You, in, in Isaiah, you have the, talking about the root of Jesse, right? Like, like it, it, he comes out out of the ground from, the, from like, like, a, like the, 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 the trees had been cut down and the hope that the prophet gave them, it'd be like a, like, a, like a root coming out of the stumps, right? This is Jesus, something small and insignificant that would grow in power um, to influence the whole world. You can do that with pretty much anything you see about Christmas. So redeem those things to actually help prompt you to think about the main thing on Christmas. You have to disregard any of those things. Use them as reminders to point you back to the ultimate reason for what we're doing here and for um, observing the incarnation. I want to read this quote, and we're done. Rich Velotis again. Here's a quote. The defender of the weak becomes weak and defenseless. The one who covers all becomes naked and exposed. The one who cares for all becomes helpless and needing care. The one who holds it all together needs to be held tightly. This is the mystery of the incarnation. Let's pray. Father, we all need help during this season to remember. I can already feel the, the, the pressure of the season. It's December. The days are counting down. Christmas. We've already missed a day on our Advent calendar. I'm feeling the pressure. I pray that you would draw my eyes and, and people in this room's eyes to you and the incarnation and allow all of those things to support the, the main goal of seeing what the incarnation was, God becoming flesh, the word, the word becoming flesh to dwell among us. And yes, he came as a baby, but so much more than that behind this baby being born, coming into the world. Help us. Help us create margin. Help us create space for that. Help us be prompted in the things we see around us to be able to to focus our eyes on you during this season. And I pray that we would be changed as a result of it. You would change our minds. You would change our hearts. You would change the way we live so that you can get glory from how we live our lives, Lord. Help us. We need your help. Please reveal yourself to us in, 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 a, in a powerful way through your word, through community, through the preaching of the word, through singing, whatever it is. Reveal yourself to us during this season. It's in your precious and beautiful son's name we pray. Amen.